One of the things that I struggle with most as a priest are the times when I'm just not able to be helpful. And it's funny, the first thing they teach you in seminary and the first thing any good priest will tell you is that it's God who helps. It's God who redeems and God who saves and not me. Our job as priests and our job indeed as a Christian community is not to solve problems for people but to walk through their struggles with them. And to think otherwise is just an ego trip. But it's still really hard when someone comes to talk, shares about something really painful going on in their life, and looks to you for some brilliant insight, some idea for how to fix the problem, some way of thinking or praying that will make things better. And you realize that they've already tried everything. They've already thought of everything. And the only thing for them to do is to pray and to wait. Wait for the test to get back. Wait until the friend is ready to stop drinking. Wait to see if the medication works. Wait for the grief to lessen. Wait for the hurt to stop. Wait for things to get better. One of the great things about this digital world that we live in is that we've been able to eliminate a lot of the inconvenient waiting of life. The DMV is so much better today than it was five years ago. But because we've eliminated all of these minor inconveniences, the only waiting we have left is that really hard waiting. And it's that kind of waiting that I'd like to talk about today. Our psalm today, Psalm 130, is an invitation to faithful waiting. And it has one of the more famous opening lines in all the psalms. Out of the depths have I called to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Consider well the voice of my supplication. It's a psalm that's often known by the Latin version of the first words. De profundis, from the depths. From the deepest places I cry out to you, O Lord. In the Psalms, the depths, or sometimes the pit, are shorthand for those situations in our lives that we can't possibly get out of by ourselves. The Psalms use these expressions to describe sickness, grief, sense of abandonment, sadness. It's an apt image, I think. The depths, being stuck in the depths gives a connection to that hopelessness, darkness. You're isolated, you're powerless unless someone else throws down a line or a ladder. De profundis, out of the depths, we cry out to God. The psalmist cries out to God and then waits. The psalm says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for him. His word is my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning more than watchmen for the morning. My soul waits for the Lord. That image of waiting can sit uncomfortably with us. It sounds dangerously close to passivity, to irresponsibly uh, sitting back and saying, well, I can't do anything, I'm just gonna let God take care of it. I had a classmate in seminary who preached on this text and served in the military. And he pointed out that being on watch, being a watchman waiting for the morning, is actually not a passive activity. 
It's demanding. It takes focus and activity. Talked about standing on the deck of a naval vessel, how he was taught to scan the horizon, to keep his mind alert and active, to feel responsible for the safety of his brothers and sisters who were asleep below deck. He talked about how he was taught exactly what moment counted as dawn, how he would watch for the first rays of sunlight to come over the horizon. Watching for morning and waiting for God are not passive acts. Waiting certainly not the right response to every situation, but there are situations in our lives where we aren't in control of what happens next, and we have to wait. And in those cases, we are called to wait like watchmen looking for the dawn, active, alert. And that kind of waiting can be a spiritual act. And it's interesting, the psalmist doesn't specify exactly what he or she is waiting for. Just the morning, just rescue from God. And that hope, exactly what the psalmist hopes that God will do, isn't specific. The Hebrew Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann talks about hope in the Psalms and how the people of Israel would often talk about their hope but rarely specified exactly what they were hoping for. Brueggemann says that this is on purpose, that for Israel, God is not the instrument of realizing your hope. God is your hope. Israel does not hope for something but hopes in God. God is not the instrument for realizing our hope. God is our hope. We don't hope for something. We hope in God. The Psalms teach us that we can be honest with God, that we can ask for whatever we like, but that part of waiting is letting go of our own ideas of what exactly we're waiting for. Sometimes waiting is letting go of our expectations so that we can be open for whatever God wants to do to lift us out of those depths. It's easier said than done. But if we get too attached to our own ideas, our own hope for the future, we might miss the dawn. We might miss what God is actually doing. Probably my favorite poem in the world is one of T.S. Eliot's four quartets. It's called East Coker. And I read it every year during Holy Week. And in the part of the poem that's a meditation on Good Friday, Eliot talks about exactly this phenomenon, the importance of waiting with openness, of letting go of our own ideas. He says, I said to my soul, be still and wait without hope, for hope would be hope for the wrong thing. Wait without love, for love would be love of the wrong thing, yet there is faith, and the faith and the love and the hope are all in the waiting. That's where the penitential thread in this psalm comes in. Part of waiting is repentance, metanoia, turning around, a turning away from my plans toward God's plans, a turning away from my timing toward God's timing, from my plans and projects toward God's plans, letting go of control, waiting and trust. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week and the most important week of the Christian year. Throughout the services of Holy Week, we travel to the cross with Jesus, and then we wait for resurrection. And the whole week from Palm Sunday on is designed to make those events really present for us, to help us really encounter the grief, the waiting, 
and then the joy. Because that's the fundamental motion of Christian life. From the depths into the light, from despair to hope, from death to life. In Christ, we can trust that we are delivered from the depths, that our hope is never in vain. God doesn't fix everything, but God does deliver us from the depths when we cry out. Maybe not at the time that we've hoped, maybe not in the way that we hoped, but God always responds to that cry from the pit with presence, with reassurance, with what we need to go on. In the same poem, T.S. Eliot talks about our time in the depths, our times of waiting, as being like the gap between scenes in the play. All we see when we look at the stage is darkness, but in the darkness, the scenery is being changed. The old backdrop is being rolled away, and something new is being put in place. God is at work. That's the promise of the Psalms, the promise of Holy Week, and the promise of our faith. And so we wait, but we don't wait alone. We wait in the, in the presence of God. We wait in the presence of friends of Christian community. And we wait trusting that as T.S. Eliot says, the faith, the hope, and the love are all in the waiting.